This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to This Day in History, a podcast dedicated to examining history from a standpoint of determining which event on any given day had the greatest impact on our lives. Now your host, Tony Hubert and Armand Kachigian. Tony Hubert and Armand Kachigian here with you on This Day in History. Welcome to the show. Welcome to December, a Armand. New a new month. Interesting items. We have got a lot of fun things right. to talk about Shall today. We get right to it? Uh, we will, as always, on this program. Uh, we look to have fun. It's a history show like you've never quite heard before. <laughs> uh, we promise you that. And uh, we get into the things that we feel have affected your lives the most which dates which events from today's date have affected the world we live in the most and which ones are the central more, most interesting theme for the show and then we find the interesting tidbits as well yeah, so maybe some trivia tips as we always do let's start with the uh before we get to our big events that we'll talk about in depth let's talk about the ones that we'll just touch on i go to 1420 armand mm-hmm. and henry v now my first inclination about henry v is from blazing saddles And it's the line where they say, that's the last act of a desperate man. And Howard Johnson replies, I don't care if it's the first act of Henry V. Ah, okay. Well, I'm not familiar with that quote, but I'll trust you there. You don't know Blazing Saddles? I know the movie. It's not one of my favorites. Oh my god! I, I you know, people, people. Uh, I can't wait for I can't wait. My type of humor. that was one scene. That was one scene. Well, people punching horses. Uh, that was one that's scene. Not exactly brilliance, in my opinion, but. Uh, we're going to talk about somebody I, I like better today. Who, Henry? No, another comedian. But Henry V, uh, interesting, he did. He entered Paris. Um, this is, of course, during the Hundred Years' Wars, which lasted... Uh, 113 years. 116. 116. Yes, Damn. we'll get you. We'll, Damn it. We'll, you're going to get that down before we're done. Henry V, actually, and I've read a lot about him because I've, I've been in the play, Henry V. Oh, and who did you by play? Brooks. Who did you play? Mountjoy. The French, okay. The French uh, that had to kill you to play a French, French character. French ambassador. Yeah, I didn't use a French accent. Okay. So anyway, uh, Henry V was not the wastrel he was depicted as in Henry the Fourth's Part uh, One and Two. He, you know, he hung around with uh, Sir John Falstaff, getting drunk and having a good time. And who doesn't like Falstaff? It, yeah, I, I, well, I don't. But not well, it wasn't the, the best beer yeah. ever. But come on. Ugh. But uh, yeah, they, they, it was a low budget was beer. Our party. Yeah, yes. it was great. It's, it's better than Stag. <laughs> And um, so anyway, he wasn't really quite that bad. In fact, he fought with his father at Shrewsbury, and he fought Owen Glenauer, and he fought uh, oh the other ones. Uh, oh, this is already, Henry Hotspur. This is this is already more th- about Henry V than I ever could have hoped to know. Yeah, well, he wasn't a partier. He was, he was a pretty damn good king, and uh, you know he marries Catherine of Valois, which is kind of spoils go to the victors after he took Paris. But you know something, he wasn't really, and, and as depicted by uh, Shakespeare, he was he was not not only a party. But once he got to be king, he was very noble and just. Actually, he wasn't that just, and he wasn't that noble. I mean, when he took, for instance, after the Battle of Agincourt, which was on St. Crispin's Day, uh, October 25th, uh, 1415, they basically, you know, it was, it was kind of understood that you took hostages, and a lot of these were French knights, and you ransomed the knights, and you get a lot of money for England. You know, yeah. 
Uh, he he just beheaded them. Well, yeah, he put them to the sword. I don't like and that And he kind of did the same thing uh, at uh, Rouen. He he had a uh, uh, siege around that, and it was basically there again. It was understood you siege the town uh, in the mid- Middle Ages. You know, it was general. It was gentlemanly to let the women and children get out. You know, because you're going to starve him to death, basically. Right. Well, he didn't. He let the women and children well, I don't starve. I like this guy already yeah, now. So he was pretty rough. All right. Let's so move to Don't uh, accept the Kenneth Branagh, uh, Kenneth Branagh or Lawrence Olivier depictions of he Henry the V. Yeah. Oh, that's because they're doing he, Shakespeare. If it makes you feel better, he died of dysentery. And, so. and it makes me feel slightly yes, he's better. He's only 36. All right. In 1862, in a State of the Union address, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, restates the necessity that slavery must end as he ordered 10 weeks earlier when he issued the Emancipation Proclamation. That happened on December 1st, 1862. Which, of course, only freed the slaves in the border states. Keep that in mind. That's all it did. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've read Everybody, it. remember that. I've read it. And that was not a war fought for slavery. We'll go over that sometime. Well, you yeah. have already. In 1913, <laughs> yeah. the Buenos... Found that point home. The Buenos Aires Metro. I found this yeah, interesting it because interesting. it's the first underground railway system in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, it doesn't say in the Americas. It says the Southern Hemisphere. The Southern Hemisphere. And yeah. in Latin America. And it begins operation. I have been to Buenos Aires once. Yeah. And it really... It's a European city. That happens to be in South America. Very cosmopolitan. Very cosmopolitan. You would love it. On this date in 1913, December 1st, Crete, having obtained self-rule from Turkey after that first Balkan War, well, they're annexed by Greece. Well, I'm for anybody obtaining self-rule from from Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, not a big fan of the Turks. On this date in 1918, two separate nations are formed: the Kingdom of Iceland becomes a sovereign state, Mm -hmm. yet it still remains a part. Of the Danish kingdom, and the kingdom of Sir, the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, which later becomes the kingdom of Yugoslavia, is proclaimed. Yeah, there you go again. I mean, that's here again. Wilson failing after World War One. Although you're, why, you're bitter. Fault. Why are you bitter? Well, because everything that everything Wilson said we fought for in World War One, we didn't do any of it. For instance, the people self-determination was one of the 14 points. None of these people wanted to be a country with the other people. They just basically drew up these lines, the powers that be, Who, and the made Slo- them all one the, country. The Slavs? Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you they didn't. My grandmother is uh, of Serbian descent. and You think they wanted to be incorporated she, in the no, Croats? She was, Slovi- she, was the, she was the nicest, most gentle, most loving person in the world until you mentioned a Croat. Yeah. And then... Nazi scum is but what Clemenceau come out of and Orlando and those guys. No. Anyway, we'll get to that sometime. Here we go in 1934 in the good old USSR. This this is kind of a big one. We oh, we okay. talk a little bit about this one in the in the Politburo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sergei Kirov. Sergei Sergei Kirov is shot dead yeah. by Leonid Nikolayev, <laughs> and uh, this happens Armand, yeah. at. The Communist Party headquarters. Right. Well, they, they, you know, they're basically they're saying this guy, Nik- Nikolaev, Leon- Leonid Nikolaev, uh, killed this guy. But uh, just by just by happenstance, uh, Mr. Kirov didn't have his four bodyguards with him. He only had one, and the guy was unarmed. So the guy just stepped up right behind him and shot him in the neck. Most people think Stalin was behind it. Why wouldn't you think that? Yeah. Well, Kirov was he was a pretty popular guy. I think he was like the if not the mayor, but of uh Leningrad, he was, you know, in charge of it. They didn't call it a mayor. But uh, the guy was very popular, and this of course gave Stalin a great great opportunity. First he, first thing he did and this is for all you gun control guys, he disarmed every member of the Politburo. Before that, Politburo guys were always walking around with revolvers. Mhm. 
he put an end to that. And then, which kind of made them helpless, but not that they would have fought too hard anyway. When you got the NKVD on your side and uh, uh, the precursor did the KGB. Yagoda. Uh, yeah, the, the guy was up. Uh, the- Yagoda. Anyway, he was the guy behind this at Stalin's behest. And uh, he. this is the beginning of the purges. And this is very important because we're World oh, War II. It buffs. starts the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, well, how do you say that? Gulag Archipelago. Archipelago. Yeah. Which the, goes, the main, stretches the main, all throughout but that's Siberia. later. I mean, the, it, he already had some of those. I yeah. mean, people were already being sent to Siberia routinely. But this, when he purged all these officers, basically when Germany invaded in 1941, they, they had really no hierarchy. Oh, they're bereft of they real had, command. Like 35,000 of their officers were, yeah, were killed by Stalin. So they were in a they yeah, were in a welter. Yeah, the Red Army has no yeah. middle layer of no, no middle management. Right, right. and we'll you get go- to their higher management today. By yeah, way. you will. The in 19- it was a disaster in 1941. Uh, right at the beginning of World War II, Fiorello LaGuardia, one of the best names ever yeah. for a mayor, the mayor of New York City. Of course, you know what his nickname was? Ah. Uh, no. The little flower. The little flower. I think that's what Fiorello means. Oh, little, okay. little flower. Well, he, uh, the director of the Office of Civilian Defense, he signs an administrative order uh, creating the Civil Air Patrol. Well, that was a timely bit of uh, bureaucracy, wasn't it? Yeah. What they And do you ever believe the stories that New Yorkers would routinely see U boats off the shores? I don't know if I buy that. I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the U-boats traversed. Uh, some of them, I'm sure. Now, did now, 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 a one did come. Oh, I'm sure it, it because happened. there was a mission where they offloaded and spies. Uh, yeah, and, and the spies were columns, were, yeah. were caught in mm-hmm. later in New York City. So a U-boat was yeah. in Long Island. I think that we've heard the same. Not U-boats, but of course we've heard the same about. I don't know if any Japanese subs were off Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but uh, anybody that saw 1941. There were nights like that, you know, f- oh, yeah. fake air raids. Fake air raids, yeah. 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 Uh, John Belushi flying down Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, I don't think that, did, that didn't happen, it's did big, it? Big flop, though, yeah. that, that movie. A huge flop. 1952, you're going to love this one, Armand. The New York Daily News reports the news of Christine Jorgensen, the first notable case of sex reassignment surgery. Yeah, my favorite sex change surgery uh, recipient was uh, Dr. Uh, Renee Richards. Dr. Renee Richards, yeah, okay. Yeah. In 1950. 1950- Although she tried to kept, keep playing, and that's not fair. She returned from a man to a woman, but yeah. he still wanted to play tennis as Why a woman. Why not? Yeah, that's, that's not fair. Uh, well, you think that will be MMA fighters? Because a lot of these you know, men mm-hmm. that turn women want to fight mm-hmm. MMA. Mm-hmm. Okay, always, maybe a new category. Always a champion of the oppressed. No, maybe a new category. Okay. 1959 in the Cold War, the Antarctic Treaty is signed, setting aside Antarctica as science is a scientific preserve. Right. No. What no the military. hell else are you gonna do with it? I, well, I guess you know, put weapons there for what? To attack, put them in space uh, to attack Australia. Mm, kill a few penguins. 1960, Paul McCartney and Pete Best of the Beatles, they're arrested and. Deported. Yeah, well, they try to set fire to something, huh? Yeah, well, the I don't know attempted arson. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, what was it? Well, what they, were they trying to set fire to? Probably their apartment. Oh, okay. 1969, the Vietnam War. Uh, this is kind of a big one. The first draft lottery in the United States is held, and it's the first one since World War II. So it had been, what, we got 24? Let's call it 1941, they initiated. Yeah, initiated so 41 to, to so with 28 years, and Boy, oh boy, if you have a family member they from were that burning. time. Remember they were burning their draft cards? Yeah, but thing? I, I mean, every uncle of mine knew, still to this day knows their lottery number. Oh, I'll bet they do. Yeah. Was, that that had to be hugely impactful. Yeah, most of the guys I know about that age went into podiatry to, oh, really? to evade the draft. Oh, yeah. well, you get swamp foot? Oh. It worked. 
Yeah. Well, if you keep going to school, you're not going to. 1974. Uh, this is tragic. On the same day, there are not one but two airline crashes. Yeah, what a coincidence. TWA Flight 514, a Boeing 727, and Northwest Airlines Flight 6231, also a Boeing 7 wow. or 727. They both crash on this date, December 1st, 1974. 1989 and the Cold War, really the end of the Cold War, East Germany's parliament abolishes the uh, provision in their constitution, granting the Communist Party the leading role and in the state. And just a few weeks later, which I'm sure we'll get to, is the, the law, law comes, law comes down. down. 89. Yeah. In 1990, uh, work on the Channel Tunnel begins. The Channel, the channel yeah. between uh, the United Kingdom and France. No, I think uh, they met, right? Uh, it didn't start. They'd already said they, they met. No, the section started meet. Yes, that's true. Yeah. They did the the completion of the tu- of the yeah, tunnel. It's not quite done. They, now, have you ever heard the story when they got to the point where the machine is knocking down right. that last? They were only off by something like two inches. Oh, that's must, remarkable. Must have been American engineers. Huh? That's remarkable. Absolutely. I think the French could do that. You got to get. Come on. I smell some sort of mysticism here. Come on. It can't be right. Leave the French alone. Nineteen ninety-one. The Ukraine voters. uh, Voters in the Ukraine. They overwhelmingly approve a a referendum for independence from the Soviet Union. I don't blame them. I don't blame them either. Next to Turkey, the country I'd like to be uh, detached from the most probably the Soviet Union. And I think uh, you missed one that I I have. I I got a big one that you brought up. I'm going to let you bring it up. All right. 1822 Franz Liszt debuts. Yeah, you love the music. I do. I like classical music. The thing I find interesting about now, Franz Liszt, my favorite, uh, well, my favorite Philip about him is this alleged uh, uh, vendetta he had with Chopin. Because they were like the two top pianists. Well, we're all My favorite Chopin, by the way. Pins and needles about this. Yeah, but it wasn't that bad. They were they were what we'd call frenemies, probably. You know, uh, they they uh, actually they were both uh, excellent pianists. In fact, Franz Liszt wrote a biography of uh, Chopin, but um, he uh, he was. Uh, their mistresses were good friends. Or, excuse me. Their mistresses hated each other, and I think that's where that's where problems happen. You know, you can't. George Sand. When the two mistresses hate yeah. each other, that's probably going to be right. problematic. George Sand couldn't stand. It's uh, bad enough when the wives mistress. hate each other, but yeah. when the mistresses hate each other, that that's generally going to lead to bad things. And apparently, Chopin had a really good friend, his best friend, and he went to England and you know on some sort of trip. And while he was away with his friend, List. You know, he banged uh, the guy's uh, wife in uh, Chopin, or his uh, fiance in uh-huh. Chopin's apartment, mm-hmm. and the guy always thought Chopin was involved in that. So that wasn't good. Oh, he was running. That, that's he, he, he was running a wingman operation. Yeah, he was like he thought he diverted him just uh, to get him out of there. I'm going to so get Liss you out of here so List can come exactly. in and close the deal. Yeah, I don't think uh, he. You know, he swore that it, he had nothing to do with it, but I like to think. You know, being a man. Wow, that he did. the dark side of classical yeah. music. Yeah, and there he only had one opera. This is interesting. Don Sanchez was uh, List's only opera. But he was supposedly a pretty nice guy. He did a lot of charity events, you know, for, uh, you know, for charity. So, <laughs> he did charity yes. events for and charity. They, and they were well, events. Imagine that. Where I assume he played the piano. I mean, yeah. He, he was, probably didn't do well, any juggling or, yeah. you know, ventriloquism. He didn't sit, he didn't but, uh, sit outside a five and dime. And but then he had a, you know, then he got bell. married and wives being what they are, told, her, told him to cut that crap out. He's wasting his time and yeah. stay home where he belongs. There you go. So that was the end of the charities. So that's a little about Franz Liszt, there you Hungarian. Go. 1953, there's one more. This one is a big one. Almost made our in-depth conversations. Oh. 1953, oh. on this date, 
A magazine is published for the first <laughs> yes, time. Of course. I think this should this is a biggie. This is a biggie. Could be the most but, seminal event of the, yeah, uh, but, of the day. So well, I don't think so. The magazine in question is Playboy. Well, I said seminal. You get it? Yeah, I, I got right. it. I'm okay. trying not double to. Double entendre. Not, yeah, I'll we double. Have a very mature audience. I'll we double your entendres that. is what right. I'll do. Go ahead. Elucidate. So Hugh Hefner publishes Playboy. Yes. Uh, 1953. Right. Now, there are certainly magazines that could be acquired with nude photography yeah. in them. But Playboy was a little more commercial in its appeal. And, of course, first. Well, play- you know what the original name was? Uh, gosh, I do. And I'm blanking. Okay. Well, what was it? Stag Party. Yeah, that's. That, that. And, you know, Hugh was making his money. You know, he made his money at, at that time. He was promotional manager for another magazine, Children's Activities. Mm-hmm. So he found another activity for well, children. He sure did. Well, he, he, well, did you ever find your father's Playboys? Oh, he had them under the bed. They were so absolutely. easy to find. Yeah. yeah I, used to th- I used to think my dad left them. Yeah. strategically around the house. I think that's something fathers would do. Did you do that for your kid? No, because ha- yeah, we don't do the magazine. Nah, it doesn't yeah. matter now. But the internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't need any help finding this stuff. Yeah, 1982, course. what right. am I going to do? Turn off all the safety locks. I, I tell fun. you, if you showed me a stack of 50 magazines, I could instantly pick out the Playboy in that stack. Oh, really? It was from the staples? No, just from the, just from the way it looked because it was staple and there would always be a, a sort of a sort of a bend right in the middle where the centerfold was. Mm. So just the way it laid, okay. you say, that's the Playboy. Buddy, and, and I probably would have because my I, buddies I go, would I come f- over. After I always went for coarser stuff, yeah. hustler. So he would, and know. he would always bury them a little bit. Yeah. But I was like, he's he's leaving yeah. these for me to find. Just this, a formality. this is on purpose. Yeah. And so I would mother then, couldn't and I would always put them around. back. I would literally like Did you put them back very neatly. I would I, I would try to I photo, tore out the center I would try to remember exactly yeah. how it was positioned and then get it back exactly right. You know, the first couple of times I forgot to do that and nothing happened. There were no repercussions, so I that, I just got sloppy with it. And yeah. Just threw them back underneath yeah. there. Now, his more raunchy stuff he kept downstairs, but oh, a Playboy oh. could be upstairs. He had an office in the basement. You know, the first, I won't mention any but names. It, it, but it changed. The the cultural impact of Playboy yeah, cannot obviously. be understated. Yes, yes, it, it did. New maleness. And by the late 60s and we were talking through about, the 70s. And you were talking about how the issue came out in December or it didn't come out quite on, you know, you thought it would probably come out earlier. Yeah, I mean, first. it really came out on December 1st. Didn't have a date on it, yeah. Because he didn't know there was going to be any more. So he that's, thought that might be the fa- one and only issue. That's so there's no date on it. If you can find one of those. Whew. I don't think, that, you know, I looked at that. How much was it one worth? I think one sold in like 2012 for like five grand. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like much. Well, I mean, it's a magazine. I mean, they are Spider-Man. Probably a couple. What half a million or something? I, I don't. I'd rather know. have this. Wouldn't you? Well, it did have Marilyn in it. Although yeah. the pictures really aren't that great. No, but they were. I think they were. Uh, and he pirated bought, or whatever. He right? bought they got the from pictures. Some photographer. He she, bought, yeah, she didn't know anything about it. No, no. Okay. It wasn't like she willingly. Right, right. This is before she pose. got into movies. And the picture she was Norma Jean. When, she, yeah, yeah, Norma Jean. What Baker? Uh, yeah, Norma Jean Baker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm saying she. The pictures weren't new. They were no. at least seven, eight years yeah, old. Yeah, right. Yeah, she was young, very young. Yeah. So there you have it. Hey, this day in history is brought to you by Audible.com and by Amazon.com. If you are looking for any books during the holiday season, get yourself to Audible.com. There is a free 30-day trial waiting for you where you can get a free audiobook download. All you have to do is go to Audible Trial. 
youtube.com slash this day in history podcast sign up get your free trial and go to town lots of titles to choose from and at amazon.com if you need to get the christmas shopping done get it done now and go to amazon.com here's what we want you to do though go to our website thisdayinhistorypodcast.com see the amazon banner click on it and then start shopping and if you haven't signed up for amazon prime do so now in fact we urge you do so now the clock is ticking T-minus 25 days. Right, I got one question Until for you. Until Santa Claus, baby. I've got one question for you because we did we had a trivia night the, uh, about a week ago, right? Yeah. Just testing your memory, okay. powers of memory here. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. On this date in 75, Jack Nicklaus became the first golfer to win $2 million in a year. Now, we had this question last week. Who yes. was the first golfer to be to win $1 million in a year? Uh, that would be Curtis Strange. Very good. And that's a good question. So that's a great question. Write that one down. Most you people are going to say Arnold Palmer. Nicholas, yeah. maybe even Gary Player. Yep. But it's Curtis Strange. Curtis Strange. Okay, the big topics for today that we get into, the ones that have affected our lives the most as we see it, and we invite you to respond, okay. to comment. Now, of course, these are Anything. subjective. They're all subjective. But I want to take you to 1903. Oh, we're not going to do the chronological order? Um, yeah, 1903. I'm, I'm down to 1577, remember? 1577? Yes, by 300 years. What happened in 1577? Well, I'm glad you asked. Francis Walsingham was Oh, knighted. my God. Not Walsingham. Yes. Now, do you know this man? Are you familiar no. with this guy? Very interesting guy. He was Queen Elizabeth's spy master. How does this affect my life today? Well, okay, I will tell you. He is the one. He did, he did several things that would affect you. He uh, First of all, he foiled many plots against Queen Elizabeth. Well, I love, I love the Rodolphi the plot. The which the, plot? The Rodolphi plot. He foiled Rodolphi, the Rodolphi plot. By the way, yeah, he was in Paris during this plot. He lucked out. All his co-conspirators were drawn and quartered. Uh, but he, he lived his life out It's probably a good nicely. thing to miss. Uh, also, the Babington plot, that was a big one. That led, of course, to the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. Ooh. Uh, the Throckmorton plot. All these plots. There's were a to, lot of plots. Yeah. Well, they were big time against Queen Elizabeth. How much she was the plot of, going for back then? These plots, it went for about, well, it went standard. Oh. Six by four by three or whatever, because they all ended up well, they, they weren't big, They all ended but, up yeah, in a They plot. all ended up without their bowels. <laughs> But uh, anyway, the big thing that Rolsingham did, now he, he had spy. this guy is really what, cre- this guy really created spying as we know it, espionage. He had spies all over Europe. This is unheard of. Turkey, well, Ottoman Empire. Sure. He had spies all over. He's good. In fact, one of his spies, they think, was Christopher Marlowe. Famous. Really? Famous, yes. In fact, that might be why he got killed. Well, we'll go into that on his birthday. But yeah, he was uh, actually one of his spies. But the big thing was, he actually helped finance. If it wasn't for him, there probably would never have been the raid on Cadiz, which won, technically, I think, in my opinion, was the key to beating the Armada. Because when Francis Drake went down there in 1586, I believe, I got to check that, 1587, I'm sorry, that's right, 1587, the Spanish Armada was ready to attack. The English were not prepared at all. They would have been wiped out. They had no, they had no ships, really. This one ship, I mean, this one uh, sortie by Francis Drake, you've heard of singeing singeing King Philip's beard? Yes. That's what he did. He went in there, sunk a hundred ships, but what he did more importantly, and this I think Walsingham told him to do, was to he chopped up all the barrels on on all the ships he found. Chopped them up and burned them. That they couldn't replace so fast. The ships they could, but the barrels that and you know, this is all the provisions they had. So they had to use a different kind of wood. This was old aged wood. And apparently the new wood they used wasn't as good and all their food got rotten apparently too. So that 
so a lot of them didn't make it home because they needed provisions. How does one ship go in yeah. and destroy well, he had a fleet. one? Oh, he had a fleet. Okay, like he had nine a, of them. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. But uh, so yeah. he he but that he, was financed. He, he put and all the cooper, by Walsingham. He put all the coopers to work in Spain. Very good to get the barrel makers, get yeah. the barrels back. Mm-hmm. But the the wood wasn't the same quality, and apparently a lot of this stuff so the knock on effect and had a lot they had a lot of problems. Well, let's talk about espionage though as part yeah. of this because espionage. Look, if you live in a modern country today, first world sure. country, I, I think you're a spy. I've okay. always questioned your allegiance. I think you're working for the well, it's not the KGB anymore, is it? What is it? The FGB? What? What are the? What's the? Uh, we gotta look that up. The yeah. Russian yeah. Secret Service. Yeah, you might want to look that up. Okay. Yeah. Let's see your papers. Well, high is better. Well, soon oh, enough. Mercenary. Yeah. The uh, so, but Greeks, Romans. You know, um, well, they were always, yeah, they, always, they didn't have espionage. Well, not to this extent. I mean, this guy, okay. really, this guy had a network of spies. But is this is this also espionage coupled with the art of disinformation or just the art of intelligence uh, gathering? Yeah, well, this guy had like, uh, well, basically, of course, he'd interrogate people, which means tortured them. Yes, but he had a special guy that could like open, you know, because all this espionage that was going on was through correspondence. So he had a special guy that. could they could like open a, a seal and put it right back, and you'd never know it was opened. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a cryptographer because a lot of these things were in code. Yes. So this guy really had it systemized. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, I would yeah. like to read a book on this guy. Yeah, Francis Walsingham. Francis yeah. Walsingham. Yeah, he was knighted today, and you know he deserved. It. And he was knighted by who again? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth the first, first. of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. 1824 in the U.S. presidential election. This one does affect us. It's affecting us to this day, actually. Um, No candidate got a majority of the Electoral College. Yep, there were four of them. And because there were four candidates and no majority, the United States House of Representatives was given the task of deciding the winner in accordance. Uh, 12th, 12th Amendment, I with believe. With your 12th Amendment of your U.S. Constitution. It's not mine. I'm not sure. No, I, it is. I like You're an American, one, okay. and that's your amendment. Now, can you name the... No, I cannot. Uh, yeah, okay, I think. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm going to say this is John Quincy Adams. You got one. Okay. Well, he won. He didn't really win, but he got the... Uh, Monroe? No. Well, the guy that really got pissed, the guy that won the most, uh, which is somewhat uh, apt, got the most popular and electoral votes and still didn't win. Hmm. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, and who would become president later. forgave him. Yeah, right. he, was, he didn't, wasn't a good loser. And then, there, of course, there was... Um, wasn't a good loser. Henry Clay. Yeah. And uh, a guy named Crawford. Okay. Now, actually, Henry Clay... Now, I, I don't know, remember exactly. I know... I know um, I don't want to look. Jackson got 99 electoral votes. J.Q. Adams got 87. And then it was third was Crawford. Now, by the 12th Amendment, only the top three are allowed. It's thrown, When it's thrown into the House of Representatives, only the top three are. So, so Clay's out. Okay. Clay, he, he was out with 37. Yeah, online. okay. So he was the least. Yeah, because yes. uh, Crawford had 44. Crawford, unfortunately, had a heart attack. He was not in good shape. So he, he, was not even a, he wasn't even uh, an alternative because the guy was practically dead. Okay, so everybody knew that. He was out. So the big thing was who was going to get Clay's votes. Well, Clay is Speaker of the House, so he's pretty much kingmaker. Well, Clay, he had—I'm not a big Clay fan, and I'll tell you why. He favored what we would call the—what he called the American system. And anybody—here it is, and unfortunately it still is our system. High tariffs, um, infrastructure spending on roads— and uh, more regulation mm-hmm. of the, the, the triple threat, the killer of the economy. And he was against what he called the British system, which was laissez-faire economics, which, of course, I am an advocate of. And by the way, these are the same three things that 
led us to the Civil War one of these days when I'll expound on that even and we're, at greater length. We're still yes, we're still debating. The South didn't want that. The three the North thi- did. Well, yeah, but yeah, the North did. Time out. We're still debating those three things. Right today, of course, of course, whether they're actually good for the economy or they lead to stagnation, mm-hmm. and we all know the answer. It's the latter. So <laughs> anyway, so anyway, Henry Clay made what they call the corrupt bargain. And if any if anybody asks you what this is, kiddies, this is it. The, the election of 1824, he in, used his influence, gave his votes and influence the House of Representatives to vote for J.Q. Adams. And Jackson was not happy. And what does he get? To the, to the victor belongs the spoils, right? He gets Secretary of State. Yeah. That was a corrupt bargain. Mm-hmm. It kind of stunk. Yeah. So the Electoral College, though, coming into this effect, what is your thought? Because the Electoral College, particularly in this election mm-hmm. year, is well back in the news. Basically, the second time in the last five elections that the popular vote mm-hmm. winner has not carried the Electoral College. Uh, you know, as I've freshened up well, on the Electoral College over the course of yeah. this year, you know, I, I'm not ready to write it off. I think it does exactly what the founders wanted it to do. That was the idea. Now, whether that's just or not is a different matter. I think that's entirely up for debate. But here's the point. We are not a democracy. If you read the Federalist Papers, Adams talked about no, this. We're a Hamilton democratic too. republic. A representational republic. A representational republic. Either one's probably apt. Uh, and that's what they were afraid of, tyranny of, of the majority. So you've got 40, 51 votes and I have 49, but I get to say everything I want or I get everything I want. They, they didn't think that was a good idea. And, of course, at that time, you know, Virginia and the big states, of course, were bullying. They were afraid they'd bully the small states. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's kind of the price you pay, and that's what you're evening things out. So I, I'm a big advocate of the electoral. I can't think of a better way to do it, to tell you the truth. So, you know, I don't think a democracy of straight vote, a popular vote, is the way to go. Let me ask you this. In, in the state of Wyoming, I saw this graphic mm-hmm. come up the other day. Um, they have 584, give or take, thousand residents. They have three, elect- the least popular state. three electoral votes. I believe that. Yeah. You do the math, it's like 170,000 right. you know, uh, uh, voters per electoral right. vote. Yeah. California has 38.8 million and 55 electoral votes. Yeah. So uh, It's not proportional, obviously. It, right. The, voter, the vote of a Wyoming resident it means a lot more yeah. than the vote of a California resident. So in theory... Very low voter turnout in the state of Wyoming. Let's say just 10 people voted. Mm-hmm. Gets, gets you three electoral votes. Every single registered voter in California could vote. That's and, true. And that gets you 55. You mentioned the tyranny of the masses. Is there a tyranny of the – is there an overrepresentation of the few? And should there be some sort of trigger in terms of – voter participation that turn on your electoral college votes well listen you know as far as i'm concerned i think you know my position on this and i i kind of um since i've lived in california i, I kind of sympathize with those if they want to secede i think that you can secede i think you can secede from the nation we don't take part in your elections we elect our own government and we're still it'd be like the euro we use the same same uh currency and we're basically attached but we're a different state i don't have a problem now of course that's gaining a little momentum i don't think it's gonna happen but i don't have a problem with california not only seceding but becoming six different states because believe me northern california it's and different. orange county are totally different totally different from san francisco and yes. los angeles where and bakersfield is there, you know but that goes for the whole country so absolutely if you don't think i think if, if people don't think they're getting fair representation by all means i think they should secede and set up a whole new damn government that's my opinion 
but you know the question is had hillary won and things no 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 that's not the question my question was the well were you against the electoral college before this election no and i will and i and i'm still not ready to toss it out now either but but i do after looking at their grudge after looking at it and 1824 illustrates this, especially if you go in deep about this. If you look at the Electoral College map for 1824. Mm-hmm. A lot of colors there. Uh, yes. But you, you can s- see the North, even then, the Northeast has their candidate. Seems like the Southern states have theirs. And a couple well, two of Southern states Northwest uh, territory. And yeah. Virginia in 1824 is still a mega state. Yeah. It's West Virginia, as we know I think it today. Clay's from there. Is still, a part, one, is still a part of Virginia. Yeah. And Georgia is... Well, it's my contention this country is, you know, you've got the Northeast, you've got the South, who have virtually nothing in common, and the Midwest, the Mountain, and the the West, which theoretically should be four different countries, if not five. Well, look, it's a union. Yeah, but what's a, okay, what is a union? A union means that we have to have the same federal government, or we're just a union of states that are somewhat confederated depends on what you are right well, are you for states rights or are you a friend states rights of course okay absolutely yeah, there you have it but, but that's I, what the founding fathers were I, for too i i know that i agree i do think though in terms of national elections whether it be for president or mm-hmm. any other thing that would come to a national vote which i don't think there's a single thing that does come for a national vote other than president uh um, I, I guess so. They're, I, right? I, I, There's no, national. We don't have national referendums here. Yeah. Okay. I I do not think a state should get all of its electoral uh, ballots cast if their voter turnout. So you don't like the winner take all? Do you like the winner take all system? And not really, because I don't okay. like the tyranny of the of, of the major- I don't think fifty one forty nine means the other forty nine should have to suffer. Well, that's a question then. That you know because. I don't know how it would have split up had, you know, electors gone by counties or whatever. Because even in California, if you look at it, it's virtually all red. There's a couple of big counties, obviously. Well, yeah, that, the, but those but, maps are, you know, those maps well, are deceiving. <laughs> What's so deceptive about it? Well, because they represent land, not people. That's correct. But that land also represents something to me. People don't, you know, the people living, all living in L.A., why should they have, because there's three million of them, they should have more say in California politics? What goes on in the San Joaquin Valley? Those poor people, these farm I live there. These, yeah. these farmers are dying because people in L.A. want to save the Delta smelt, and they have no idea what they're doing to the irrigation of these areas. And these poor farmers, now, even though they're not obviously nowhere near as populous, are under the tyranny of L.A., Sacramento, and South, uh, San Francisco. And these reservoirs have gone down to nothing, and there's big dust storms like the 30s again because these people want to save because they're environmentalists. And I didn't call that an environmentalist. A delta smelt, I could care less, personally. The farmers are very, are suffering, and so is the economy of California. But you've got them ruled by people that don't even live there. So why should they suffer? That's 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 the point I'm making. Point taken. All right. Okay. Next big anyway, topic. That's interesting, but that was an interesting election. Let's yes, just it say. was. That was a great one. And it's applicable to today. Yeah, sure. All right. Now, here is one that shifts our culture entirely. 1903. And it needed it. And at this point in 1903, entertainment options, basically music, theater, maybe a, maybe a uh, what would you call it? A uh, kinescope? <laughs> what? Uh, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Yeah. Uh, that's Nickelodeon. what I mean. Okay. A kinescope, too. But on a- this date, December the first mm-hmm. 1903 the first true narrative yeah. film yeah. movie motion picture 
the great train robbery have you ever seen it is released they yeah. actually still have the negative in the library of congress that, they can still make prints phenomenal yeah the, 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 first of all that the negative is surviving it's not exactly shane but no i know but okay. it doesn't matter 1903 but 19 bad. because you know just a what's few, your favorite western my favorite western uh other than blazing saddles <laughs> rio bravo Oh, okay. Yeah, I like I like Dean Martin did, as a drunk did cowboy. You like the remake of Rio Bravo? Eldorado. No, same no, Elder. It's the same damn movie. Yeah. It's not Howard Hawks. Yeah. What didn't have Angie Dickinson in it either? So yeah. that's you know. I like Shane. Uh, yeah, Shane's great. Okay. okay. But this the cultural shift because now entertainment, um, you, you have a whole country potentially digesting the exact same thing. Now you know everyone can read a book. If you can read, yeah. But you don't need to be able to read. Yeah. You don't need to be able to read to go to a picture You're show. Looking at me quizzically, yes. You I don't need to be able to read, right? So you can go no, to a, a picture totally show. Totally new art now. form. It's the a, art form of the 20th century. It is a new art form. It's right at the start of the century, and it not only will bring you a narrative film, but soon it will bring you your news. Well, and most people, everything. Yeah. you know, so so now literacy, you know, if you couldn't read, it's uh, on the decline. If you couldn't read, it didn't matter because you could simply go into the into the into the theater and spend an afternoon, watch a show, get the movies, the whole thing, and it stayed that way. I got to tell you, for over a hundred years, right? Only in the last ten years has this shifted. I think. Where more people decide, I'm just going to stay at home and watch on my big screen TV. But that's because you have a big screen TV. Well, I think in the 40s, you know, I mean, when TV just came out, it was it was a... a I'm sure it took a, a, a bit of yeah, a... Yeah, it was a mortal threat to... They considered a lot of those a, studios were about to well, they fold. Cons- that's they why could, you got these big movies like Ben-Hur yeah, and the had to, biblical you had to, epics. You had to, you know, ne- 3D. Necessity and, is the mother yeah. of invention. And you had to go bigger, and it got better. It made a better consumer product. Do you product. watch silent movies, by the way? I would, I would recommend to anybody listening to this, watch a silent movie. They are unbelievably... The what only they can si- get across the only silent with no words i've watched are, are the gold rush right silent movies uh, that are con- in fact I, i'm gonna say and i'm a, i love silent movies i'm gonna say and and i this is corroborated by most most critics drama has reached its apogee with the talkies okay no doubt about it but comedy has never topped the silence really you want to laugh through your gut Gold Rush, yeah. Navigator, The General, all the these general, yeah. Harold Lloyd movies, what, City Lights, and C- City Lights. Yeah, well, Chaplin kept silent even during the middle of the talkies era. So you're a real Gloria Swanson, Sunset Boulevard type. The, the oh pi- yeah, yeah. The was, pictures got small. Yeah, right. She was big, <laughs> although Mae West was supposed to play that part. She didn't want it. Mary so Pickford too. I, I think the cultural shift in 1903. And and again, you know the big question though that. Uh, you know the big question about that movie that Billy Wilder always used to say? Which movie? The Sunset? Sunset Boulevard, okay. yeah. <laughs> they, they're always asking, what, what was the significance of the first scene? In, in, oh, of the, of the dead monkey? Yeah, said, she, or, she, no, was, well, she was fucking the monkey. Oh, God. <laughs> well, he wrote the script, so. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, the first scene is actually is William Holden. Right, in the pool. In the pool, but that's chronologically not the first right. scene. Well, actually, the first scene shot in that movie was in the morgue. And there's all these corpses with the tags on their toes and yeah, everything. Yeah. And William Holden is, is lying next to another guy. And he okay. says, what are you in here for? What happened to you? Because <laughs> I got shot. You know, well, what happened? And then he goes into the spiel. But people were laughing, as you did, because it was just too funny. Because it's comic. It's, there's right. no so drama. changed it to the But pool. the drama of, the, of looking up at yeah. the body in the pool right. from the bottom of the pool. 
right. great shot. Yeah. What? Yeah. And just the whole art. Every. I mean, everything. But it all started with this. It, everything that yeah we experience visually today. Yeah. Starts here, December first, nineteen oh three. So the cultural impact of this, pretty big, huge, huge effect on our lives today. Next effect on our lives today, and then we'll do some birthdays. Nineteen thirteen, Ford Motor Company. Yeah, pretty big. Introduces the first moving assembly line. Assembly lines existed, yeah, right. but this is now moving, and they were moving at about. Oh, I want to. It was maybe like six feet per. Well, they got it down at, at its at its uh, most efficient. What was it? About four or five? It wasn't. It wasn't. Not even a half day to make a make a car a Model T. Oh, it, it, four it, or five hours. It, it definitely picked up. I mean, uh, it, it would take uh, twelve hours to build a car. Twelve hours. Okay. okay. And this, they you know, the assembly line gets it down to two and a half hours. So two and a half okay, hours. Yeah, I, I knew it was. Nothing is assembled. Two and a half hours yeah. later, all the parts are assembled. Now, that's not, you know, it's, it's, you, you can't make a car in two and a half hours. That's not what we're saying. Because mm-hmm. you still have to manufacture all the parts. Yeah, this is just right. the assembly. But the assembly, yeah. That, that was amazing. Yeah. But then again, he also, I think he also uh, revolutionized that by putting the parts stores very close to. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to go all over the country to get the parts. So, so Ford was. So the, the line. Just mm-hmm. just a year later, in 1914, the line would move at six feet per minute. Okay. So that gave the worker a lot. You know, if you think about what you can actually well, accomplish in a minute, in a minute, you know. Speaking of that, remember modern times where yeah. Chapman was <laughs> using these little lug nuts and you can get tighten a, the nuts. You can do a lot of yeah, that's you know mechanically stuff. oriented things in a minute, and then you know as your as your workers get better and better, you can simply speed up. The line. Right. right. And, and that's the, what he found. And by 1924, it, the Ford Motor Company had produced 10 million, million. cars. Yeah. All of them black, I believe, right? Every, At least any the Model color, T was. Yeah, any color you want. The uh, So the 10, yeah, the 10 millionth Model T came off the Highland Park assembly line in 1924, just 11 years later. Yeah, that is a amazing. staggering amount of work. Not to mention the eight-hour workday that really codifies because now the production is there. Not only that, he paid his workers well. He paid the, the guys workers well. They would buy the car. And they get a full weekend. Yeah. So Ford was. So, I mean, now. I don't know about the Jewish workers because I don't think he hired any Jewish work. Uh, Ford was, was not a big he fan was, of the Jews. Uh, He's, he had no, some. No, he had some hit, yeah. On his birthday, we'll go into he his He had some foibles. major foibles. Yeah. But what happens also with the assembly line is is the other cultural shift that goes back to the previous one with, with the movies. There's leisure time. Yeah. A 12-hour workday, you go home, you eat, you go to bed. Right. And you're working Saturdays usually, too, at least half a day. At least a half a day. Now, you're working an eight-hour shift. Maybe you have a lunch break of a half an hour. And whatever your commute was in terms of time, not in distance. But now you've got a significant portion of your evening open, and you have your weekend because of this. So now, for the first time, Americans have leisure time. Yeah. And the two things that really, you know, one is you need something to give you leisure time. Well, that's, autom- you know, industrialized automation and assembly. And then what are you going to do with it? Well, radio's not really here. No. But the movie pictures are. Yeah. And World War One. if and, you really well, want to really spend a few years not real entertaining le- yourself. Not real leisure time. But uh, I, now I, I think the next, the next leap, the quantum leap, is going to be this 3D printing. I mean, Could once, be. once they get this down to where you can construct things atom by atom, 
Could be. I, I don't know mind. what kind of economy you have anymore. All right, let's do. Well, we're gonna have, we're gonna, we're each gonna have to buy a machine that works for us. That's, that's it. what we. That's do. it. Then you're done. Yeah. You then we sit around. Them, I guess. Okay. Let's do some birthdays before oh, yeah, we get back time. to the big topics. 1761. Marie Tussaud. Oh, yes. Tussaud. 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 I'm yes. sorry. Why do I always say Tussaud? Yes. Tussaud. Uh, yeah. That's right. That, as long as you mispronounce French, I'm uh, all right. That with. that Marie Tussaud is. Have you is, been there? Is born. I, no, I have place. no I've desire. There, yeah. I find it creepy. It is. It is a little. I, I have no. I do not want to see myself in wax. Knob with the Illuminati. Yeah, eighteen ninety six on December the first. Georgi Zukov, the Georgi Zukov, Georgi Zukov, Georgi. Yeah, I speak a little well, Russian. You yeah. do speak a yes, little I Russian. Speak Russian. Russian, a general and a politician. He would be the second minister of defense for the Soviet right. Union. That was no small job. Um, well, here's now here's what I'd like to say about Georgi Zukov. Zukov. Yeah, this is now this is interesting to me. He has a lot of ships named we've after talked him. By about, the way, listen, we've talked about uh, well, we will talk about Moscow, which is coming up. The battle in 1941. That was him, uh, and of course Berlin. He took Berlin for the Soviet Union. Uh, that was him. Well, he took his part of it. Yeah, but he was in command. Yeah. I mean, that was his army. Uh, he was very popular, which led him to a little trouble with Stalin. But the the battle that really this is a big one that nobody really knows much about. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Kolkingol? Is this the biggest tank battle ever? No, that's Kursk. Oh, that's Kursk. Kolkingol. No, I have not. This battle was fought of all people, but about 1938, 1939, uh, what was going on was the Japanese had established a puppet state called Manchukuo in, in Oh, uh, northern China. Manchuria in China. Yeah, Manchuria, okay. right. Yeah. Henry Puyi was the, their puppet leader. Okay. Well, that was on the Russian border. Yes. And the Japanese were kind of feeling the Russians out. Well, there was they, basically a de facto war going well, on. Well, they had been in a war just, what, 40 years earlier? Yeah, 1904. The, that was bad. That didn't work out good for the Russians. So anyway... Uh, the, there was basically a border war going on here, and the Japanese were kind of contemplating invading Russia. Well, at the Battle of Kolkingol, which I believe was in August of '39, old Georgi Zhukov uh, gave him a bloody nose at this battle. And the Japanese 6th Army was surrounded and chopped up, and they said, well, I don't think we want to mess with these Russians. A couple of things came out of this. First of all, a lot of Russians were uh, involved, and these Russians were sent to the uh, Eastern Front, which would have been the, uh, the Eastern Front for them. Would have been their Western. Their Western Front, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's great. Their Western Front, because Vladivostok means Eastern City. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, they, so these people got these these men, these troops. They spread them around, so they had some veterans in all the you know in all of their uh, divisions. And the other thing was the tanks they used were the forerunners of the T thirty four. They used diesel tanks, and they were T thirty four forerunners, and that basically won the war for the Russians because the Germans had no tank up till the Panthers, which at Kursk, but they were still a little iffy at Kursk. They were just coming out, but up till then. The Russians always had a tank superiority because the T-34 could take unbelievable punishment, and it was quick, and it had some good armament, and they just tore the hell out of the panzers. So all this stuff began at this battle, and Zhukov, of course, got his spurs at this battle also. Now, later on, after the war, Stalin didn't like him so much anymore, neither, neither did Berea, because he was too damn popular, and Stalin didn't like any competition. So uh, Lavrent Berea, my favorite, on his birthday, we got to have a party. 
because this guy's my favorite KGB guy. Oh. Killed millions. And uh, so he didn't like So he was always trying to get something. Killed millions. He was always trying to get something. Well, you know, Stalin killed him, but Beria did it. Oh. Stalin just Armand. did the orders. Oh. So I'm just stuck at it as, you know, as, as interesting guys. But anyway, so Beria had a hard-on for uh, Zhukov. He didn't, like, he didn't like it either. Yeah. So he's always trying to catch him doing things. And they, they had so he caught him with basically, you know, all these guys, these Russians had kind of itchy palms. I mean, they're taking Germany. Yeah. So, well, Georgi had some furniture he liked, you know, a few trinkets here and there. He, you know, he, got, he put on a train from Berlin. And Berea, being the spy that he was, probably under orders from Lord Walsingham, uh, you know, finally got him. Hey, we got him because they found all this crap that he stole, which everybody did. Yeah. Loot, looted from Germany. Looted everything. Right, but all of a sudden, this is some sort of, you know, this is some sort of uh, of, of an offense. And just as they were trying Zhukov, and they're going to make kind of, it looked bad for him, fortunately, Stalin dies. And Khrushchev, who was good friends with Zhukov, was on his side. And Kamenev, they liked him. They were all good guys. And they all turned on Berea, and uh, he arrested Berea and shot him. Even though I don't think he did it personally, but he was right there when they put the bullet in him. Good grief. Yeah, so interesting. And then, Georgi. So he lived out his life, died at 72. Yeah, he was a uh, hero he, of the Soviet he, Union. He would not, he would, passed away in 1974. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he lived out a nice long life. 1911, on this date, December 1st, Walter Alston is born. Oh, you can take Famous manager, Brooklyn Dodgers. Dodgers, Los Angeles Dodgers, did a lot of winning. 19, I don't think he, did he win? I guess he won his championship. Was that 65 they won? Oh, well, with they, they uh, moved. They won in 59. They beat the White Sox. They That's right. That won was in, he, I guess he was a manager. They won right? in 63. They won in 65. And uh, he would manage up until Lasorda. Okay, because in '65 they had like three shutouts, didn't they? Koufax pitch and Drysdale. Koufax yeah. Drysdale, yeah, yeah that was a hell of a runs. team. Hell of a team. He, I would have loved to managed. Wow, can you just, just pencil in Sandy Koufax yeah. and Drysdale? 1911, another baseball name. Uh, Calvin Griffith is born. Uh, he owned the Washington Senators. Would later move and become the Minnesota Twins. Another baseball birthday, December first. Great shortstop, underrated shortstop. St. Louis Cardinal Marty Marion is born. And in 1923, I love this name, and i got to ask you a question. The American admiral and academic, and he would become the 12th director of the CIA. Mm. Stansfield Turner is we born. a name for it. Uh, yeah. Why do CIA uh, people always have incredible That's names? A good name. Like Stansfield Turner. Stansfield Turner. James Jesus Angleton. I mean, you can go on with CIA names. Yeah. I swear to God, they, they're, they're made up, right? They're about, made up. Uh, um, not Dean, his brother. Dean Atchison, his brother. What was his name? Atchison, obviously. He was CIA director, too, I think. That's Mindy, a good name, Atchison. Atchison? Well, the Atchison, Ooh. Topeka, and Santa Fe, but... Uh, I mean, That's a good name the, for the only, train stops, too, I guess, apparently. Yeah. The, uh, the, only, the only boring CIA name? Was Bush. George, George Bush? <laughs> yeah, that's... that's uh, Rather pedestrian. God, these guys had great Stansfield Turner. That just That's sounds. Name, yeah. If that doesn't sound northeastern prep school, whew, nothing does. 1933, great born singer. To, born to the purple. Yeah, Lou Rawls is born. Yeah. Died in 2006. Too, too young, yeah. 1935, the director, screenwriter, actor. Uh, a true auteur. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Auteur. Yeah, auteur. A true Another auteur. French term that I don't think is applicable. Woody. Well, what he wrote it. He yeah, I mean, he may be him, but, you yeah. know, the auteur theory, I don't know. I like the auteur theory. I like okay. that you own the whole thing. But Woody Allen, born on this date maybe in 1935. Maybe Chaplin, maybe Woody Oh, Allen, he's yeah. an auteur. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely Chaplin. Okay, so what's your favorite Woody Allen movie? Uh, Bananas. 
Wow, the old one. I, I like played against Sam. Yeah, I, I, I like I Annie do, Hall. Too. I do like. Uh, I, I'm okay, and I do like uh, Broadway. Danny Rose. I just find something funny about it. I like Bullets I, Over Broadway. I love Bullets Over Broadway, and some of the early, late or some of the uh, more recent ones. Well, Midnight in Paris wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, Curse of the Jade Scorpion. I find I've very funny. Okay, very funny. I mean, I'll check it out. But bananas for some reason. Uh, when when he goes and Howard Cosell does play by play of his honeymoon, right. it, to me is one of the great scenes in cinema. Uh, and now, here he was, comes Mellish. Now, if you look at Woody Allen, believe me, that guy—you know who he's influenced. Well, Bob Hope, he is Bob Hope's character. Didn't basically. he write? He it. Didn't he write though for, well, he wrote for the Sid gr- Caesar? Sid Caesar. He was show of shows. Show to Mel Brooks. And okay, yeah, yeah. But Woody's early days, you know, before like. Becoming a stand-up was television. Have you read his books? Yes. Without feathers, without feathers, or is is tremendous. Well, come into my it, room. And I will borrow tell my you, S. J. Perlman because that's his favorite author. The the, the, the short story, The Whore of Minza. Oh yeah, I think from, I, I know this. Yeah, I know the and it, it is phenomenal. Where the 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 intellectuals are paying good-looking women to have intelligent conversations yeah. with them, and a guide to some of the lesser ballets. Are oh. two of my favorite short I stories. I think I like the one. Wasn't there one? It's been a while since I read these, but wasn't there one where the guy, uh, his girlfriend, is uh, out of literature? Characters out of literature, and I think one of them was Madame Bovary. He couldn't yeah. get rid of her. <laughs> he couldn't get. Yeah. <laughs> but read S. J. Perlman. That was his favorite author. Okay. And had a. Yeah, I've got all his books. Nineteen thirty-nine. Lee Trevino, born Supermax in nineteen forty. Um, perhaps the greatest American comedian. Wow, that's saying something. Peoria, Illinois. Richard Pryor. Yeah, too bad he was so self-destructive. I don't think he could have been as funny without being Maybe. self-destructive. Maybe. I think you got to look at that, his hand that, in hand. Now, you know he wrote on Blazing Saddles. Oh, really? Well, I'll forgive him for that. Well, then why don't you go watch it? You like him. Why don't I, you go? I'd rather watch Stir Crazy. Oh, if you watch well, the Stir Crazy is a good movie. Until, until, yeah, yeah, the, second, Gene, the first half is great. He the and second Gene half, the rodeo part kind yeah, of puts me to sleep. It's weird. But it's pretty good, the first half. 1944, John Dinsmore of The Doors is born. 1950, or I'm sorry, 1945. Did the, we find out if he's still alive? Yeah, Dinsmore's still going. Okay, so who died? Robbie Krieger? No, Jim. Well, yeah, but two of them did, died. Well, look this stuff Densmore, up on Google, would you? Krieger... Jim Morrison, and who was the other guy? There was four of them. Ray Manzara. Ray Manzara. I think maybe Ray, Ray died, maybe. Okay. Who's the drummer? Densmore. Densmore. So yeah. he's still alive. Okay. Yeah. Now, that's it. That's if you believe Morrison died. That's correct. Well, we can, I'd like to disinter that. Get uh, into that one on Paris, another show. Right? Yeah, his grave is marked in Paris, and uh, I, I, my cousin Jared went there and said it's really cool. You know about his dad, right? We'll have an interesting show about him. His dad is fascinating. Yeah, Gulf of Tonkin and all that. Because of the and that connection is yeah. that is an undisputed thing. This is right, not an admiral. Sure, this is not. But also, I heard one thing about uh, again. It's Dinsmore's birthday. Poor yeah, guy. Right, and we're talking we'll about Morrison. But if you like, you know, they uh, Morrison had the whole look in the deal going on. But I read once, and I cannot find the source, that if you would go over to his house, knock on the door, that Jim was basically would open the door in a cardigan sweater and quarter. believe, yeah. And the whole, the whole thing. He got arrested a couple times for whipping it out. Yeah, but that's on stage. Yeah, that's the know. act. Okay. That's the act. Okay. Otherwise... The ghost in the machine. Yeah. Uh, 1970, American baseball player, San Francisco Giants. Yeah, this is an interesting Kirk choice. Kirk Reader tell us born. why you picked yes, this? Yes, uh, I had to face Kirk Reader in a, an American Legion game, and he struck me out on three pitches. Okay. And I swear to God, they were all a foot outside until the very last second when... Oh, okay. Now right, I get it. Right to the corner. 
I'm like, dang, I didn't know a ball could move that much. There it is again. And the third one, I was like, wow, I really, I walked back to the deck. I said, guys, you won't believe how much this ball moves. Don't give up on it. It'll look like it's going to hit the other bench. So the that's other why dugout. he's included because there's a personal connection. Yeah, definitely personal. In 1970, born on the same date, Sarah Silverman. Now, won. she struck me out in fast pitch. Did she really? Yeah, is that a coincidence? Yeah. When I was playing for Vassar. I don't believe that, but okay. <laughs> Back to the big yes, topics right. at hand. Uh, this is a uh, two. We have two left. All right. 1941. Yeah, this is a big one for you. I, I want to save it for next week. Myself. I know, but we're building up to this okay. because it all say it all it all rolls towards December seventh. On this date, December the first, which I'm going to imagine is the second, or maybe it was the first in in Japan at the time, but Emperor Hirohito gives his final approval to initiate war against the United States. So Admiral Yamamoto is sent out, who had warned, "You're only going to wake a sleeping giant here." And Yamamoto had studied at Harvard and spent time in, in America. Yeah. Knew the United States well. Knew the industrial clout that it had, especially having yeah. studied he in, wasn't for it. in the Northeast. He knew this might be a fool's errand at the end of the day, even though he accomplished one of the great naval surprise victory right. attacks of all time. Um, I think he had a little help. On our side. Well, we, we will talk about yes. that on December 7th right. specifically. Yes. But uh, I always wondered this, and here's the question I pose: because our entry into World War II affects our lives to this day. Well, of course. How would the United States Armand have gotten into a global conflict come 1942 if Hirohito doesn't give the go-ahead for Pearl Harbor. I, I, I think he had no choice. Roosevelt knew it. He was pushing him toward it. First of all, Len Lease, we discussed this. You're no, basically giving weapons to the enemy. You're in the war, to, but you're, you're not. In the war. You're we not, were in the war. You're not in it. It's only a, a matter of time. From a combatant standpoint. Right, but it was only a matter of time. It had so, to happen. So what would have we, happened? We cut off his scrap metal. We cut off their oil. They were. They have to invade. They had to invade our territory, our British territory, but probably ours. Well, Malaysia. Dutch Inda, Indies, yeah. yeah. But... It, it had to happen. I mean, that was just, there was no way it could Okay, so happen. if it's not Pearl, it's something in Southeast Asia over, over oil. And it involves the British. Well, and, and maybe the, it's Wake Island. Churchill and Roosevelt were dead set. You have to understand this. They were dead set on getting us in the war. Because even at that time, around Pearl Harbor time, if, you'd have, if you had a poll, I'd say probably 80% of Americans say stay out of the damn war. And yeah. they knew that. Right. That's why Hitler had no navy. It's no coincidence that the Japanese well, he, attacked. He, the not, guy made he, he he let one battleship go out, and on its first cruise, yeah, it got two. sunk. Well, yeah. The, the, so he right. took the other one and he Turpus stashed was it in, in Norway. Yeah, yeah, right. But you know, Graf Spee was scuttled and everything. Yeah. But that was that was on purpose because he didn't want to challenge Britain, and that's that's the, the the myth is that Hitler wanted to conquer the world. That's nothing could be farther from the truth. He wanted to conquer Russia. He wanted peace with Britain. Over and over, he made overtures to the British. And and Churchill every time well, rebuffed was, him. Was Rudolf Hess's he weird rebuffed him weird thing one of his? I don't know if that was Hitler actually, but I, yeah, that was. We'll go into that sometime. I don't know if he did that on his own or von Ribbentrop. You know, mm-hmm. thought thought that one up. Okay, but but he kept trying. He thought Hit Britain would. He kept saying that's why he on purpose did not go after Nate because he could have. He could have made. He could have like the Germans did during World War One. They and that's kind of what started it really. That's why the British fought it. They were worried about German hegemony. In, in the at the seas because yes. they couldn't have that right so Hitler knew that and that's why during or did the, he not the 30s wanna, uh, he didn't I, build up his navy am I saying this right did he not want a repeat of Jutland 
Jutland. Jutland. Jutland or Jutland, yeah. Jutland, yeah. Right, which, which is not, a, it was basically, a, Jutland was, we'll go over that sometime too, it was basically a stalemate, but he never, the German Five Seas Fleet never came out again. They technically won, because mm-hmm. they, they sunk more tonnage than the British did, but uh, they, they never challenged them again. They used, they, they, they went to the U-boat war. Right. And and Hitler didn't really even have a whole, whole ton of U-boats either, because he really thought once France had fallen, he, he told the British, he let, I think he let the British go at Dunkirk. You know, I think that's a myth that you know Goering was supposed to bomb the hell out of him. He just said, "Let them go, let them let their arms keep their arms here, and they're going to give up. They're just going to not even give up. It's going to be some sort." He was willing to let yeah. them have all their possessions, which yeah. is something Stalin and Roosevelt didn't do, by the way. Believe me, read that book, Roosevelt, uh, or excuse me, Churchill, Hitler, Churchill, and the Unnecessary War by Patrick Buchanan. It's, yeah, it's that got is all kinds of bibliography stuff. That is on well Amazon.com for you. That is yeah. also uh, one of the books that we saw available on Audible. And yes. if not, just Read email it. us and we will get you. So again, December 1941. I think it was inevitable. I, okay, I don't think it was it, any I way agree. you I agree. It's inevitable. But, but my had question Roosevelt is. not won the, the 1940 election at Wilkie won, we probably wouldn't have gone to yeah. war with him. But my question is, how do the United States get into it? Is do we go deep into 1942? I don't think it would have taken that long. Or, or are we talking at this point? It is a matter of weeks, if not maybe a month well, the Japanese, or two. Here it is, December 1st, and we know what day it happened. He was up to this time. He still wanted. They were still trying to negotiate, trying to negotiate, but they had no room for negotiation whatsoever. And that, and Roosevelt knew that. He knew they were going to attack. He knew where. He just didn't know when. And uh, you know he just kept goading them into it because he knew that was what he and Churchill discussed this at the Atlantic Charter. That was his back door into the war. Now, what's more interesting is had Hitler not declared war on Mussolini, because technically we're fighting the Japanese, and even though they're you know allies, right. you know Russia was fighting the Germans. They didn't yes. fight the Japanese, Kolk and Gol, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what would have happened then? That's a, to me a more interesting question. Had Hitler not declared war on the United States the very next day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it was the 11th. Roosevelt declared war on the 8th, and I think Germany and Italy declared war on us on the 11th. I don't know why. That's. Do you need a declaration of war at No, that I mean, point? I don't know why he did it. <laughs> uh, you know, because he, he felt no threat from the United States. And he knew, just as well as Yamamoto, that it was all over. If he had to fight Britain, Russia, and the United States. So that's the question I have. Why the hell did he declare war? Well, on December 11th, we'll discuss that. Yes. Hirohito, an emperor, but, it, you know, yeah, he's an emperor. Yeah, but Tojo was a military. Exactly. He, he didn't want to fight. Tojo, when it, when it uh, I, I forget the guy, he was, it was once the military junta, or whatever you want to call yeah. it, that, that came into power in 1940, I believe, mm-hmm. and got rid of the uh, more uh, civilian uh, kind of government, Tojo got in and it was all over, too. Yeah. They wanted to fight. Well, they had been good up. They'd been good at it you know, up to that undefeated. point. They, they, hadn't they, a, they hadn't had a loss in a thousand years. They the were Japanese ro- Navy. Well, they were on a roll. I mean, yeah, ask but, the Chinese. Yeah, but their undefeated season came to a quick halt. But that, I mean, the echoes, the echoes of December, and which we'll talk about in in depth next week mm-hmm. when we do a December seventh specific Pearl Harbor show. Because um, there's, you know, as far as dates in history, yeah, everything uh, pretty much pales. Everything pretty much pales. December first. Let's move up to 1955. Our last topic for the day. In Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks, this is the day she refuses to give up her seat and is arrested for violating Montgomery's racial segregation laws, which lead to the Montgomery bus boycott and which helped Are they putting her on a $10 bill? I I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Now, this becomes interesting for a whole 
whole bunch of factors. One is it is truly sort of the seminal starting point of the civil rights movement. Not exactly. But not yes, yeah. not quite. We were just let's would you like to Yeah, let me tell you let me that? tell you the name. Yeah. Um because yeah. In, in she's mo- still alive. Give her her yeah. due. Yeah. No, Rosa's still No, no, Rosa's dead. No, I'm this, sorry. This Claude, yeah, alive. this lady's still alive. Um 9 months earlier, a yeah, teenager March, yeah. a teenager named Claudette Colvin uh did the same thing. Exact same. In fact, yeah, in fact, she did it on purpose. She, Rosa Parks, if you when when she was asked why'd you do it, she was I was just tired. You know, she just didn't. No, feel she like, she right. Rose, she knew what she was doing. Rose, but Rosa Parks, but this will, woman is on. Is, will freely admitted. Yeah. there was no sort of planned right. exactly. event. Yeah, she was, was no coming home. I'm no, going to go on that look, bus and yeah, she is coming just, home right, from I, a long day at work. Right. That's I tired, and I felt like sitting down. Right. I mean, right. It's, this lady. She's 42 years old at the right, time. Right. She's doing a normal commute. She worked at what's Montgomery, called Alabama. the Montgomery Fair Department Store. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a, a lot of the African-American residents of Montgomery, they, they avoided the buses entirely. Well, I think the boycott was no, been, be, even was before, started, but right? even before this. Yeah. yeah. They, they, yeah, they, they, they avoided the buses, you know, um, but. You know, according to History.com, 70% or more of the riders on a typical weekday in Montgomery, Alabama, I would think would be, were African-American. Yeah, I believe that. So, you know, the city's public transportation, which, by the way, you pay to be on right. the bus. Yeah. You know, they are driving, the, the, you know, they're driving right. the funds here for it. And segregation is also on on the books. Yeah, this is a course. law. Of course, yeah. This is a law. That's why she was arrested, and so was Claudette Colvin. Or yeah. Colvin. So Claudette is 15 at the time. Yeah. That's and pregnant she's pregnant. By a married man. By a married man. Probably didn't want to getting around. So whenever you start a movement, you do have to pick your... Yeah. You, and apparently she had a pretty rough, coarse mouth. Yeah. And she you know, <laughs> spoke her mind pretty on the bus, too. She just didn't seem to symbolize what they were looking for quite. And uh, she was, as far as being, you know, the... Uh, the bridesmaid of the uh, the well, I don't know what you'd call it the uh, revolt yeah. the, uh, the movement. Now there's so, one, there's one thing about Parks. that was in March yeah yeah there's one March thing second there's one thing about Parks on this date in December first. So she wasn't the only person. The bus driver directed four passengers to move. Mm-hmm. Three of them did. Rosa did not. Right. And I always wondered, you know, what what went through the other three people's minds? <laughs> you, you know, not not at that moment, but, you know, like. Yeah, what, what might have been had they. Right. Because yeah. was different. if you would have, you know, I say yeah, stand. moments I say, lives made. Right. I say stand with her. But in essence, if they would have sat with her yeah. and acted like the uh, like the Woolworth's lunch counter. Right. And say, hey, we're coming in together and we're sitting and Greensboro, right? Greensboro, Greensboro North Carolina, right. right? Yeah. So I always wonder what what went through those people's minds. I mean, you talk you only have so many opportunities ever in your life to really grab that brass ring and do something yeah. significant. And but who would have thought? And she know. did on yeah. that day. And not yes, pr- again. Fate. Not pre-planned, but you know the other the other three people, you know they did they did move all because all because one white man on the bus did not have a seat. Right. Yep. And then nine years later, Lyndon B. Johnson is putting the Civil Rights Act into legislation. 
That's a quick turnaround from get up, give up your seat on a bus. Well, Lyndon didn't exactly turn around, but uh, he had kind of forced on him. Believe me, Lyndon was not a big civil rights guy. Texas cowboy. I, I get it, but yeah. but it is he is the president and yeah. he is the master of the or was the master right. of the Senate. Right. And and you know, he could get legislation done. Well, so okay. We'll uh, go into that sometime too. Yeah. So the boycott following, you know, uh, the ascendancy of Martin Luther King. Yeah. I mean, it all starts. Quite a a turbulent time. So when you look at all the factors that happened on December 1st, the assembly line, really the moment where the United States is going into World War II, the civil rights movement with Rosa Parks. Playboy. And, 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 and yeah, the way we spend our entertainment time, 1903 with the great train robbery and the first narrative film yeah but there's a dark side to every date of course yeah and i think we'll, we'll cast a little light on this as we on, as we always do less appetizing parts the deaths yeah um, so for you well there's I, a big one for me uh, no but for you on the on the events we've discussed at length the biggest one that affects your life to this day armand oh, rosa uh, the ford no, assembly I line I, I probably the great train robbery Oof. Probably assembly line, I guess I'd have to say. I would say, for me, as well. that's what won the war, too. Assembly line. If you want to talk yeah. about what, you know, and Yamamoto knew it. Yeah, I would say assembly line because it affected us all. Yeah. It, 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 it just changed everything. Okay, as we do on every show, we end with some deaths. Uh, I have a, I think I've got one right off the bat that you're going to like. 1135, Henry I, I of I England. I this one down. Of course, you know me and my well, you love this. Anglophile. Yeah, you are an Anglophile. Uh, yeah. Of course, you Armenians take credit for discovering uh, Britain. So That's true. We did that. Yeah. yeah. Christianity, too. You didn't discover Christianity. And you were the first Christian we nation. We also invented no. the assembly line. Ford was a pocket Armenian. Oh. All right. Henry I. Now, not Ford. Henry I. Uh, interesting guy. Didn't have a hell of a lot to do. The, I think the main thing about him dying was, and this actually has a lot of influence on us today, uh, because his daughter, Matilda, married Geoffrey of Anjou. Now, Anjou is a uh, little province in France. Geoffrey of Anjou... For someone who hates the French, you sure know a whole yeah, lot about French. Yeah, but the British. Okay. It, was, it was, you know, they ruled it. It was ours at that time. Who's, who's your... The who's British. ours? The British. Well, not in 1135, but Geoffrey of Anjou married his daughter, Matilda, because he, he had a, his... I think his son drowned. Uh, so he had no he had no male heirs. Ah, and he waltzed Matilda right into the bedroom. He, waltzing Matilda, very good. That's Australia. That's Australia. But that that of course started a civil war uh, because Stephen of Blois, Blois, Stephen the first and the only wanted. Uh, anyway, they had a, they had a big civil war. It's called the Anarchy. Anyway, Geoffrey of Anjou though was the originator, and he was the father of Henry the second, and that was the first of the Plantagenets. Now, do you know what Plantagenet comes from? You're good if you know this one. Plantagenet. Yeah. From from the plantain fruit. Close. Yeah, not a bad guess. Plantagenista. It's basically known as a common broom. It was a plant that Jeffrey wore in his hat. Okay. So they called him so Jeffrey it, of Anjou, it, it was Plantagenet. From, it was from Flora. Yes, it was a plant. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. All right. I wasn't too far off. And that's what began the Plantagenet dynasty, dynasty Henry II. And, and now, is that technically the first royal house of uh uh no because uh 
I'm not sure what house. I mean, you know, the, the house of William. You know, the William the William, William the, Conqueror the Conqueror would have been um, the Normans. Oh, the House you know, of Norman. Yeah, okay, Normandy. Who came after the Plantagenist? Well, I guess that's. Uh, after Norm, well, we've gone over this. William's son, uh, Harold. Uh, we have to go a long yeah. way to get to the Tudors, though. Well, the Plantagenets. Yeah, then you had the Wars of the Roses. Mm-hmm. So you had the Lan- House of Lancaster, House of York, mm-hmm. and then Henry Tudor. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, 14. Two houses removed. 85, Battle of Bosworth. Gotcha. Henry VII. Gotcha. First Tudor. All right. Is that show still on? The Tudors? Yeah. No, it's a good show. Is uh, it still uh, uh, No, extant? new episodes? No. Okay. But it's on It's on demand and Netflix, I believe. Okay. But interesting, his death is what started. 1521, Pope Leo X, he dies. Uh, 1866, George Everest dies, the Welsh mountain, geographer and mountain, surveyor. Right. Okay. Yeah. He was b- born in 1790, dies in 1866. This one is just for Armand... 1947. Oh, I'd like on to save him for last. This date. Okay, we'll come back yeah. to him. 1975. Uh, one of the early, uh, really one of the great mid-century baseball players, Nellie Fox, passed away, and a great basketball coach passes away on this date in 2012. Rick Majerus. And you've forgotten a great economist from the Chicago School, Milton Friedman. No, but he influences guys. One of his students. Oh, who? George Stigler. Oh, Stiegler. Yes, George Stiegler, and he has been a great influence on Thomas Sowell, Gary Becker, a couple of other Nobel Prize winners. Uh, actually, Now, is Stiegler technically he, part of the Chicago, Chicago School? Chicago School, yeah. Okay. He went to, yeah. That's where he went. No, and, I know he went there, but yes. when you say Chicago oh, School, yeah. well, meaning the economic— He actually—yes, he, he abides by their theories. Okay. Yes, and Friedman was his mentor. But he had this uh, I had, an, I had an economics professor who would always refer to Friedman as Uncle Milty. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> some, well I, bowed his, I bowed his feet. And his wife, too. She was smart, too. Rose. Uh, but uh, regulatory capture, that's what uh, George Stiegler wrote uh, about. And uh, basically what he says is that uh, interested groups and, political, and polit- uh, political groups use laws and yeah, – this, this is a big surprise – laws and regulations to benefit themselves. That's not good. <laughs> so that's regulatory capture. He's also one of the founding members, along with Milton Friedman, of the Mount Pelerin Society. Huh. Look that one up. Huh. I'd like to join, but I don't think... I'm yeah, you'd think that in. the club would have you? I don't think I'd have me in there. Yeah. Plus, what club do you want to belong to that, that would have me? Exactly. Thanks, Groucho. All right. 19, now, the, now, the now one, yeah. 1947, we close the show close with this. Out. On December 1st, the English Mountaineer. Mountaineer, that's poet, a good yes, and poet. magician, yeah. Those Alistair are, Crawley passes yeah, away. Yeah, well, those, those are those are all euphemistic. But basically, the guy, this guy, was out of his head. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was basically they was called the wickedest man in England, and then toward the end of his life, he graduated to wickedest man in the world. So, well, you set goals. And you got a world with Stalin and Hitler, yeah. and he's doing good. Yeah, you set goals and this you work guy, towards them. He was a magician. You got to read some of his stuff. He's a poet. Uh, his poetry's a little tough to get through. I don't know. It's a little too. Founded the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, or, or actually, it was a member. I don't think he founded it. But what he did found uh, was the uh, Them- Them- Thelema, which is his own religion, which everybody should do. And guess who that influenced? You want to talk about something that influences today? L. Ron Hubbard. Of course. Because, as was, L. Ron will tell you, there are only two ways to make money in this right. country, and one of them is to Start form religion. your own religion. Right. So that was, he had a big impact on it. He's also on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's. 
Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Okay. I, I actually did know Along that. Along with other and greats like Hans Hall. Yeah. And, and uh, Cassius Clay. And, all right. And uh, he always said, do what thou wilt. Where does that appear? What album does that appear upon? Do what thou wilt. Do what thou. Oh, man. Led Zeppelin 3. Damn. Okay. Well, you knew that, huh? If you no, time, I didn't know home? that, but as soon as you said Led Zeppelin three, that I it, he actually got his money because his father was a beer brewer, and uh, I think he had you know Crowley Ale or something like that. I think it was Crowley Ale. Changed his name. His real name was Edward Alexander Crowley, but he didn't. That, I guess that was Alistair had certain panache. Alistair yeah. Crowley spelled it weird too. Uh, he was bisexual. He was he was a bottom, you know. <laughs> Well, that's you know. Delta, I mean, there, yeah. I, what certain certain these are the things that make a character, yeah, you know. Certain insights, yeah, very gentle bottom, a apparently. Gentle bottom. Yeah. There you have it. But it, it was because of masochism. You, you didn't know, think you were going to hear uh, he was a bottom when he you tuned into this day in history. Tried to climb the third tallest mountain in the world. Tried to. Okay, can you name the mountain? Annapurna. Uh, that's not bad. I think that's fourth. Annapurna. Okay. Annapurna. Uh, but this is Conchinjinga. Where's that at? Uh, I think that's in Nepal, I believe. Oh, yes. so it, it is a Himalayan. Yeah, okay. Himalayan. Okay. Yep, Kanchenjunga. All right. They're all except K2. That's in the Karakoram, so that's number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he got gonorrhea, syphilis, liked, uh, liked to have his prost, traveled around all the world ch- checking out the prostitutes, uh, and liked to uh, frequent uh, men's bathhouses to find his boyfriends. Um, started the AA in a cult order. And not Alcoholics Anonymous. No, 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 no not at all. No. Although his wife was a bad alcoholic. He actually got married. Uh, and, he, and he actually sued her for divorce because of what he did, because of his infidelity. I don't know how that went over in court, but I guess. Heroin addict. He actually wrote a book, Diary of a Drug Fiend. I haven't read it yet, but I've read his poetry. Quite a guy. And uh, he, oh, and sent anti-Christmas cards to his friends. Anti-Christmas. Yes, I guess around this time of Sort year. of like your unbirthday. But he's not a Satanist. He, he always made that stipulation. He is not a Satanist. Yeah, well, no, I don't think you have to be a Satanist to right. be a... Well, it was, it was a common misconception, you know. Oh, because you weren't for one, yeah, you're automatically you the other. Yeah, you bottom guy. You know, yeah. people make certain yeah. uh, rude uh, You're a type of guy, though. Quite a guy. Alistair Crowley. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, the one book he did read that I want to read now that I read up on him, jeez, uh, I want to say, I wonder, uh, Book of Law. Is that is that on is that on Amazon or Alistair Crowley's Book of Law? Yeah, let me let me. Check. I'd love to hear the the laws that Alistair would like to enact. The uh, don't forget our sponsors Audible.com, Audible or Amazon one and Amazon.com yeah. and at Audible.com there is a uh, free trial, a free audiobook trial waiting for you. Uh, the Book of Law will not be one oh, of those damn. books, um, but if you would like. To take Armand's advice and check out... He's got all kinds of other stuff. Books of poetry. Alistair Crowley's The Book of Law. That's A-L-E-I-S-T-E-R. Yeah, you can find it in paperback waiting for you at Amazon.com. And you can have it delivered using Amazon Prime. And you do so by going to thisdayinhistorypodcast.com, clicking the Amazon banner. And then when you get to Amazon, just type in Book of Law. Alistair Crowley, and it's waiting there for you. In fact, I'll tell you, $11.57 for paperback. There you go. They got a couple left. Kindle edition cost you $2. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm ordering. I got Kindle. There you go. There you have it. All right. That'll do it for today's edition of the show. Don't forget, tune in tomorrow when December 2nd rolls around here on This Day in History on lineupmedia.fm. 
This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.